I don't, I don't have any words to explain like how impressed and um, how much thought you guys put into this whole podcast. Um, I'm hoping to like re-listen to it again and like everything that all of you said and Amy, especially like your passion for what you're talking about and for who you are and who everyone else is. Um, Cause you're not just speaking for yourself. Like you're, you're speaking for other people too. I'm hoping to apply it as like a parent and to take what you're saying and, and to, to, um, to kind of make myself a better parent and, and put more thought into like what I have my children um, do as well as my clients, but I'm primarily responsible for my children. So I feel like um, that is the job that I take as like the most important thing that I'll ever do. And so I'm hoping that like what you've said, I'm going to like go through, I wrote some stuff down. I'm going to write more of it down and like post it in my house. So that like, as reminders, um, as reminders, because that, that would, for me, like would be the ultimate, um, appreciation for, for what you said, because that is my, my most important job. Um, we're going to kind of like have a discussion about like everything with the podcast. Um, our director, Kara, is here to join us as well. So, um, the other voice that you hear will be Kara's. Um, Hi everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I just kind of want to get an overview of like what, um, what you guys think? I don't, whoever wants to start can start. How either the process? Yeah, uh, we're gonna kind of put this out as like a, a follow up kind of like this is the post discussion. So kind of like a follow up, like um like a little sub episode. So um, we have done that periodically in the past. Um, so hold on, let me. So <laughs> that was just me just giving feedback. You know, just. Yeah, that was really, that's, that's great feedback. If you want to say, if you want to say it again, you can. And if not, I'll just oh. cut it out. Um, yeah, so no, I, I, I was simply saying uh, this made a lot more sense to me now that when, when we were doing it, um, rather than trying to read through the, the script uh, ahead of time, I, I tend to be much more unscripted uh, when I'm on podcasts. So I was telling Megan that the challenge for me was dealing with the fact that this was so structured and um, it was a little you know, confusing to figure out what, what was going to happen. Um, But then, then as we were doing it, everybody just made it so easy. Everybody was so great in their parts. Everybody, I think did a wonderful job and it made me feel more relaxed to, to say what I was going to say. I didn't feel that I was being judged or like, Oh, you know, what's she going to say? She doesn't have a script. She's crazy. So uh, I was really, (laughs) so it's funny. So Amy, or for our listeners, for some background, we um, heavily script our podcast because, um, because we want to include as much research as we can and to like pull those various resource um, quotes would be extremely difficult in the moment. Um, Eventually down the line, if we have um, like Amy, people who are uh, more knowledgeable in the field than than us in that specific area, they don't, we won't need to script it. But for, for, um, for us who are um, uh, employees of this company, we wanted to make sure that like we included all of the resources that we had um, and the references because um, that's a really important piece for us. I, I did have one thing written down, which was the definitions of masking and camouflaging. Oh, yeah. I put it just so I would remember. <laughs> that was it. Awesome. Um, anybody else want to talk about like the process, like how this all went and like what you thought about it? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll okay. say for one, like, oh, sorry, Angela, go ahead. 
No, go, go, go. Sure. <laughs> it's okay. all good. Yeah. Hey, what happens, man. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you guys all know what I said on the podcast as someone who's done like extensive literature reviews and like studied stereotypy, like I can't believe how much I didn't know and like still don't know. It's kind of like those like 90s commercials that's like, but wait, there's more. And like, there's, it just <laughs> never ends. <laughs> like even today, as we were like logging on to do this, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's like 10 more studies in my email. So like, <laughs> there never is an end, um, but that's like a great problem to have, right? Because that just means like, we're still developing different strategies. We're still learning. And kind of like what you were saying, Megan, like I don't have kids, right? But like I have clients and I think I'm doing a great job with like implementing behavior reduction, stereotype reduction procedures, but like I can do so much better. And I think it was really nice having Amy there to kind of like put me in check a little bit. And I'm like, oh, like I could do that better. Like, and I say things that I think are like the most appropriate, but like, maybe that's not the right term to use. So that kind of gave me like a little more like self-awareness and like my own behaviors and just how I'm like talking to different audiences and yeah. Yeah. I go, I go ahead, Angela. So first off, I just want to say, Amy, your closing remark gave me goosebumps and I almost cried. Oh, I, I was tearing <laughs> I almost started crying. Oh my God. It was Same. amazing. And it just like shows such a different like outlook that like, you know, that we don't understand sometimes, you know? So thank you so much for that. It was so moving and so beautiful and amazing. So thank, thank you. you. Um, coming into, I'm like all teary eyed now. <laughs> um, coming into the podcast, I was like, how am I going to talk about like not treating stereotypy? I feel like it's so important to treat it. And now like doing all this research and hearing all of your feedback, Amy, I'm like, oh my gosh, if it's not dangerous, I don't think we should ever treat stereotypy. <laughs> Well, I, I think um, it's just, you know, it's not black and white is the thing. Yeah. And we, right. it's, it's so funny. We, oftentimes we say well, autistic people, you know, they, they think in black and white, there's no, no great, but we do, ABA does that. There, there's, you know, right and wrong. And the world isn't like that. The world is gray, you know? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> we, we have to really take that point. consideration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just feel so much more educated and like, I can like relate now a little, I will never be able to relate to it fully, but I can relate more to like when I see someone engaging in stereotypy and I just feel so much more educated and like it's had me have such a different outlook. And I'm so grateful for that. Like, I'm so glad I got to be on this specific podcast. So now that I know like all the different parts that go into it and just, it's just so like eye-opening for me. Yeah, I agree. And like going to what Ashley had said about um, how even just today, realizing things that maybe you hadn't thought of before, as we were going through literally like looking and doing the podcast, I, I said children with autism and I was like, what I said I wasn't supposed to, I feel like like there's just this like constant self-actualization and like self-awareness that like, I think that makes you Ashley and like other people good practitioners because you know that you don't know right I think the the danger is in thinking that you know it all and like Amy said like how some people view ABA as like black and well, like ABA really kind of views itself as black and white like and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing like I think that like there are so many gray areas yeah. um and I think that um, like that Maya Angelou quote, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. Like, I think that that's so important, especially in, in 
with this topic, but it, at, in our job, which like, and again, like Amy, you gave me like in your closing remarks also like a lot of pride in what I do because it is so important. And I think that um, we do have such a meaningful impact that we really need to understand that. And I think that um, it's not just a job, like you're, you're working yeah. with people's lives and it's, it's not just like a go to the doctor and you see them once and, and, and they get, they either get better or they don't like, this is like their life, you know, like we are shaping mm -hmm. their life. And that is such a huge, um, responsibility. So. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's, it's true. And it's, it's like, I was saying, you know, you, you, the danger with that black and white too, is that, that it puts someone in a position of, you know, I'm the one who's always right. I'm right. I'm the authority. And we forget that this is an ever-changing field. That's why I hate the word expert so much because no one's really an, an expert, let alone in, in autism, let alone because we're learning new things all the time. And when you have that, you create this kind of inflexible, you want to talk about inflexible, you know, sometimes BCBAs are pretty darn inflexible. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you are not the ultimate authority, maybe that you want to start to think you are. And I'm not saying this is true of all BCBs, obviously. Yeah, right, I've seen right. this with some, with some of the, let's say, veterans of the field, the, the old timers, you know, who, who are, are not realizing that the world is changing and our ideas about autism are changing. And so therefore the field has to keep pace. And I find that that I find there's a disconnect a lot of the time between, especially between the folks who are in, in the leadership roles versus the folks on the ground in the trenches you guys who are working with clients directly, you see it very differently from, from those up in, in, in the bureaucracy do. And so that disconnect can create a lot of problems though for, for all, all kinds of people. And we have to, yeah, we have to remember that it's, it's not black and white, even though we might want to tend to see it that way. Mm -hmm. Karen. I think I really like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I have 4,000 thoughts. I don't even know which direction <laughs> to go in first. Um, I know, that's, I'm like, I have my whole paper here with all my thoughts. Um, I think I want to first just speak to the, what you had just said. First, thank you, all of you, so much for all of this. This has been tremendous. I think that when, uh, like, Meg came to me with the idea to do this podcast, which was her idea, so I take no credit, it was all Megan's idea, um, <laughs> that this is exactly what we wanted this to be. We wanted this podcast to be an avenue where we can talk openly, collaboratively about things that there isn't uh, an opportunity to speak about or like bigger ideas that, you know, you might have one idea about and you talk to somebody in the field and they think one thing uh, and then you get this other perspective and it completely contradicts, you know, what you've maybe learned in school. And then how do you how do you talk about that? How do you rationalize that? And, you know, you have, we have all these internal covert behaviors of thinking about ideas and yeah. um, you're trying to figure out how, how does that impact our service delivery? Um, you know, and how, how does that impact how we help people? So I think that I, I'm so happy with how this episode has played out because I think it's exactly where we want, wanted this whole en entire podcast to go. Um, but one thing that, you know, just to go back to what we were just speaking about with like being experts, I think really um, as behavior analysts, we may be ex experts in behavior analysis, but we have to recognize that parents are experts of their children and people with autism are experts about themselves, you know, and recognizing that, you know, I know we don't like that term, but recognizing that like, yes, I might know about behavior analysis, but I don't know about you as a person and I don't know about your child. So it really has to be collaborative and recognizing what we talked, what you guys talked about of, you know, choice and preference and including all of those things are so, so important. So um, 
those are some of my immediate thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How you said, like, I don't know about you as a person. And like, I think that sometimes we, um, like, and Amy, you, you were nervous about stereotyping BCBAs, but like, I feel like BCBAs stereotype individuals, like autistic individuals all the time. So like, and I think that that's, that's something that we need to look at like them as a person. So we really need to take that, like those ethical points to like home. And we need to like, kind of like really drive them home. Um, it, it made me think that like we, how many CEUs are we required every two years? 32, right? It's 32 and like four are ethical, maybe it's 32 or 36 and like four ethical and three are supervision. But like, maybe we should start, I don't know, like requiring some of that, like some neurodiversity perspective into like the requirements. Because I think that you can just skate through those 32 or 36 um, require like CEs within two years. Like it's not hard. You go to like two conferences and you're done, but you might not hear this perspective. And I feel like you need to hear this perspective. Like this is, this is a perspective that you need to hear. And if you are not, if this is just a job for you, I feel like it's, it's, you're not going to, to seek out the, this kind of perspective. And I, I hope that people do. Um, it's probably a more valuable ethics, you know, CEU we could get. I mean, not that it's not important to like, no, like don't take the gift, things like that, right? But like, this right. is something that like might not be presented in coursework. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I don't want to say that it's new because I feel like, like autistic individuals have always had opinions, but I think that it's, it's, it's more widespread now. And I think that like the neurodiversity movement has kind of, um, like gain more traction. And so I think that, that um, I'm ho I hope that like a, maybe a few years down the line that it would be included. Cause I know that like the coursework is, it lags behind like where everybody else is. So like, I hope that that kind of is included in like some of the ethical um, course coursework, uh, I don't know, down the line. Um, I think it's also, oh, sorry. No, I no, think no. it's also really nice. Um, I hope that parents are able, like parents of, you know, autistic individuals, children with autism, however we're going to say it, um, are, can hear this and, and hear Amy's perspective. Because I think lots of times, um, like parents will say like, you know, I, I don't want my child to engage in seriotomy. Like, and they'll, they'll come to us as practitioners, well, we need to treat this, this needs to not be happening. And so I think, I hope that this can help parents to see kind of the other side as well. So that's, you know, something that I'm hopeful for. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, you know, what's interesting is we were talking about before that that stereotype could be indicative of, of, of a deeper condition. It could be indicative of anxiety or depression. And I think that parent response is indicative of something else. I think when they're saying, I don't want my child to engage in stereotypy, what they're saying is, I don't want my child to be ridiculed, stigmatized. I don't want my child to have a harder time. And, and that the, the stereotypy is the external representation of that, you know, because autism is not something you can necessarily see. You, but you can see stereotypy. So I think sometimes parents are conflating that. They're thinking, it, so if, if, if I get rid of the stereotypy, then my child will be, quote, normal. Well, there'll be, you know, but obviously, even if somebody stops engaging in stereotypy, they're still going to be autistic. Right, right. So I think parents need to understand that, that you, you can get rid of a stereotypy, but you cannot get rid of autism. Right. A, and I think, yeah, bringing in, like, when we hear parents saying statements like that, Kind of going back to some of the like act pieces of like identifying parent values because maybe a parent is saying like I don't want my child to engage in stereotypy but like to your point Amy what they're saying is I don't want my child to have 
bad life experiences. I want them to be productive. I want them to be happy. I want them to be these things. And, you know, maybe kind of uh, equating those things, you know, stereotypy equals blank. Um, So, you know, I think that thinking and helping parents to find out like, what are your true goals for your child? um, You know, can be a good way to kind of address that. Yeah. And and the thing is, if they're worried about their kids being picked on, I didn't really engage in a lot of like physical stereotypies when I was younger, but there was plenty of stuff kids found to bully me for. Kids will always find something. So you can try to stamp out all the autistic behaviors you want. There's always going to be someone who's going to find something to pick on someone for. That's, that's, that's the world. So it's, it's not all in, it's not all um, in, in, what's the word? (laughs) It's not all contingent on the, I guess, on the person on the spectrum ceasing to be autistic. You know, and that in, in some cases, it almost makes it worse because when I would try to imitate my neurotypical peers, when I would try to do the things that they were doing, it was always wrong. I got picked on even more because I was trying to act like them because they could see, you know, that I was trying so hard. That so. is such a good point. You're you're so right. Because I feel like, like, even when I was little, when I would, tr- and when I would try to, like, because I, I did theater and I did like all sports and stuff. And, and when I, there was... Um, like I think some of the uh, some of the groups were maybe a little bit harsher um, and non-inclusive than than others. But um, when I would try to when I would try harder to be included, they would exclude me even more. So I feel like that's really interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. And like maybe we're looking at it the wrong way, and we should teach kids how to cope and like be resilient. You know, like maybe we should identify those skills and like I and like put that into I don't know some teachable um, program that we can work with kids like you're going to do what you're going what you want to do and people may say something so when they say that you can say this or you can do this and like like teaching like almost like a reaction which kind of covers both both parts right it gives them like I think I think kids are, and like, I think that we had talked about this at some point that like kids are more resilient than, than the adults. Like, I think that a lot of times the adults think that things are more stigmatizing than the kids do. And I feel like if kids are like, oh yeah, that's, that's Joey. That's how he he gets, look, he's excited. Joey's excited. Like that's, and that's kind of like how, I I wonder if we kind of do that and like kind of hit it from both ends, um, like teach the, the acceptance and the, um, but also teach the resilience. Thought it was interesting how you said that like that that and I we've talked about this but as you were talking today Amy that like stereotypy is communication and that it's kind of its own different language and like I almost feel like we need to teach people how to speak that you know like that um that like when they see the stereotypy that like it may be indicative of of xyz so kind of like look at it that way um and that might help parents too um kind of see like what they're engaging in is like, as, um, as like indicative of, of how they're feeling inside. I know that we don't talk about feelings a lot in ABA, but, um, (laughs) some of those private events, I guess, but also I think my favorite part of the podcast was when you gave the Beatles reference. Cause I'm a huge fan. (laughs) Me too. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh my gosh, she didn't just do that. I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) And I knew exactly what song it's from and everything. Yeah. And when you said it, I screamed it in my head the way John did. <laughs> Me too. 
Well, to, to go back to what you were saying about how we don't talk about feelings in ABA a lot, I think I understand the reason for it, but I think it can be detrimental because mm -hmm. what happens is that then when you take that at the equation, then you forget about the fact that the, the, the clients you're working with do have feelings. Right. And, yeah. and what, what, what is it that reinforces more the idea that people on the spectrum don't have empathy? Is it that they don't actually have it or that we're not seeing it? We're not looking for it because we're ignoring, you know, that sometimes people display empathy in different ways, that feelings are not expressed the same way by everyone. It's harmful, I think, to cut feelings out of the equation because it can be dehumanizing in, in a lot of the ways, so. Really good point. Karen. I think we found another podcast yes. debate topic. <laughs> I think that is a great debate topic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do we address it? I think Pat Fryman has an article and he talks about, it was like in the 90s mm -hmm. and he like started the conversation of like why we should talk about feelings and behavior analysis and like how it could like build up to these anxiety disorders. And that was mm -hmm. 1998. Like we're in 2021, like a little... Yeah progress <laughs> what have we been doing for 20 years yeah <laughs> Making I mean, this, this, this field moves at a glacial pace it's depressing you know? it is mm -hmm. yeah it really you're you're <laughs> i'm ticking through everything in my head that that's where that is the case that's true mm -hmm. i think that brings to like a bigger like a bigger issue of there's a disconnect between clinical clinically what occurs and then research what occurs like there is and you spoke a little bit about this Amy like there's this disconnect between all of the research what's published what's happening in academia then what people who are working directly with individuals yeah. providing therapy are doing and and I feel like we need to get a better mesh of those things like you know getting more crossover of people who are working clinically doing research you know on this is what's happening this might have not have been like a clinical setting, but in somebody's home, this is what we taught. And it was super effective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you know, I think that that's something that as a field, we need to get better at. Yeah. And that disconnect can be so harmful because then it turns into what perspectives do we value most? That's why we see the yeah. same presenters over and over again at the conferences. Like yeah. I want to shoot myself, you know, because there's no new fresh blood being brought in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and like, I have yet to see, I, I keep saying this, the ABAI Autism Conference, I have not yet seen them have an autistic speaker at the ABAI Autism Conference. I have been waiting for that since I started graduate school in 2007. That's a major mm -hmm. problem. It's like, I'm right here, invite right. me, I'm here, <laughs> you know? But, and it, it hasn't happened. And I don't understand, I don't understand that exclusion and this insistence on, you know, it's, it, I see it too when I see how they have the, the pricing for the conferences and you have to pay extra for the workshops. And so there's this idea that somehow PCBAs have all this disposable income and everybody yeah. in the field is rich and can pay, you know what I mean? And so it's completely inaccessible to so yeah. many people mm -hmm. for a field that is so dedicated to disseminating the science of, of applied behavior analysis to do a crappy job at disseminating it. So, yeah. yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like, like with like the insurance funding and like you're working primarily, like I would say, I don't know, what percentage do you think of behavior analysts work with autistic individuals probably I mean it's got to be in the 90s right like 90% of or higher uh, well it's definitely not 100% but like I would say it's like in the 80s or 90s and I feel like like by not having an autistic presenter that is that is absurd we maybe we should get on that maybe that should be a soapbox that we kind of I have I did get to present at ABAI national conference and I presented at the international one in Paris in 2017 I was glad yeah. to be able to do that but the autism conference definitely that there should be someone speaking there who's mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Yeah. I don't see why not. Well, yeah. 
Um, and one thing that I wanted to address that you had said too, is like holding autistic individuals to different standards. And I think that that is really um, a good point because I think we do that with kids too. And I think that maybe like as adults, like we, like, like our, we're not superior. Like you said, like dominant doesn't mean superior, but yet we kind of like hold them to like, like if they're having a bad day, it's, it, they, they can't have a bad day, you know? Exactly. At, to be consistent all of the time. Neurotypical kids can have a bad day. An autistic kid has a bad day. Oh, he's never going to learn how to do this skill and that skill. And it's going to affect the rest of his life. He can't have a bad, like we, we, we're so fatalistic. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and what do you think that does to the autistic children? You think they're not picking up on that? You think they're not hearing that and, and picking up and seeing how we're reacting? Like that's going to create a very neurotic adult, you know? And yeah. I, I mean, I'm from New York. Neurotic people are everywhere, but we don't need to add more, even more neurotic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And on the flip side, I did, um, I was talking to, um, a parent of one of my clients. Um, and I did also want to share her thoughts because I thought it was, um, it kind of like gave the, the, the kind of supported Ashley a little bit, um, that, uh, that her children, um, are a little bit less autonomous and verbal, um, and more cognitively impaired that they may never be able to learn that they would never have been able to learn or speak. Um, if they didn't intervene and reduce the stereotypical behavior. So that was another um, another point. She said that they could be stuck in a world where they couldn't reach them without gaining like the prerequisites to those basic skills that they need to navigate the world, which requires like, again, like, and a good point that we kind of like talk about is that navigating that world requires like a certain paradigm of skills. Um, like we talked about, you know, like self-care, speech, toileting, all that kind of stuff. So that was an interesting perspective from, um, from a parent. Um, it's just a, it's a, a really important topic. And I hope that we are not, well, we're definitely not the first to discuss, but I hope that we are far from the last because I think that this discussion needs to be had um, in anyone who teaches or addresses uh, or treats stereotypy um, or chooses not to as a result of, of listening to this. So. Um, and even I would, I would say the greater public at large. Yeah. Like, you know, I think it's something that like, as like a parent of neurotypical children, like I, my goals are to teach them, like if we're out and we see somebody engaging in stereotypy, like he's just having a good time yeah. or he's not having a good time. He's a little bit upset. It's okay. You get upset sometimes too, you know, like, and that's as a parent, how I try to with, you know, with knowledge of the autistic community, try to relate and help my children to, you know, how they should respond if they see something that, you know, is not typical, I'm saying quotes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, get, give them a repertoire of behaviors and thoughts about that to say like, oh, okay, like he's happy or he's sad or, oh, I think he's kind of upset. Yeah, you get upset, upset sometimes too when you have to leave the playground, don't you? Yeah, yeah it happens. Yeah. So. Anyone else want to share anything else about the process or any other takeaways or anything like that? All right, I just wanna, again, like appreciate all of you so much um, for not even just being here today, but the months and months of prep that we put into this podcast. Um, and for all of you who have listened, I really appreciate you listening and hope that you take what you learned here and apply it to not only your own practice, but help other people um, become more aware too. So thank you all.